And welcome to another episode of your favourite movie podcast, Movie Bollocks. So, um, it's good to be back. There are many of these. If this is your first episode, go back, find a few more. They're dotted around all over the place within the... um, uh, main podcast feed and um, there are extras available of this episode if you sign up at Patreon that is at patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith um, for just $5 a month you can ask questions of your musical heroes that's right, basically you get a chance to um, ask questions of people that get interviewed, you get your own podcast you get this early, you get loads of acid rain behind the scenes stuff um, it's a cornucopia of delight stuff. So if you're into um, the podcasts, you also I also do a, uh, a radio show which is for patron uh, patrons only, which is called Radio Bollocks. That's right, Radio Bollocks, Movie Bollocks, Talking Bollocks. I've got three bollocks. Ha ha ha! And of course, why not? I'll throw this in as well. My name is Howard H Smith. I am the lead singer in Acid Rain. I am also a stand-up comedian. I also do this here podcast along with Talking Bollocks. I am also host of the official Motorhead podcast, The Motorcast. Um, That's coming out soon, so uh, keep your eyes out for that. That's enough about me. How about we start talking movies? Well, first up, what have I been doing since I spoke to you last? Um, Here are a few things that I've I've watched and some uh, some little reviews. First up, um, The Fugitive. Remember that? That was a TV show in the 50s and 60s, I think. Then it was remade as a movie. We've all seen Tommy Lee Jones chasing um, Harrison Ford all over the shop. Well, they've remade the TV series. The people who brought you 24 have brought The Fugitive back with lead character played by none other than, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland. Not much of a surprise there. And because it's from the makers of 24. And the episodes are, wait for it, about 11 minutes long. That's right. About 11 minutes long. They're trying to do something different, I guess. You know, see what works, what doesn't. Um, you know, for, for these times where people have uh, shorter and shorter attention spans. Uh, what was I saying? <laughs> um, then maybe that's worth a go. And maybe it is, because I downloaded all episodes and I got as far as starting the third episode and just going, this is rubbish. Yeah, and it's got nothing to do with the length of the episodes. Just really cheesy. I mean, well made, but the the script was horrendous, and it just the whole thing just felt forced and yeah, just not very nice. Do you know what I mean? If it was food, it would have looked good, and I'd have got about three or four mouthfuls into it, and then decided I didn't want to eat anymore. It was one of them. Okay, so next up, Uncle Peckerhead. Right, a comedy horror. And unfortunately, comedy horror is a very, very difficult genre to pull off. You either pull off funny, but not horror, or you pull off horror and not comedy. To pull off both together is very, very rare. Uncle Packerhead, at times, almost almost does it. It's 90 minutes. It's, it's pretty inoffensive stuff. Um, you know, if you feel like something of that genre that's not shit... Then there you go. Hey, put that on the poster. Uncle Uncle Peckerhead. Howard H. Smith of the Movie Bollocks podcast said, It's not shit. (laughs) Um, After that, new Netflix movie, Project Power, which I really enjoyed. Um, Jamie Foxx is in that. Um, And it was... uh, So is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And um, yeah, for me, Netflix are, uh, are, are on a pretty cool... 
a pretty cool run at the moment. Um, I really enjoyed that, so definitely worth definitely worth checking out. Big budget action um, set slightly in the future, and um, yeah, yeah, some really really cool effects. And um, I mean, I know you know really in twenty twenty. All effects should be cool, but they're not, are they? Because we've seen some films with shit effects. So I just thought I'd mention that they're really good and 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 really strong performances from Jamie Fox and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, given what they have to play with. Uh, now, next movie, it couldn't be more different from Project Power. It's called Leave No Trace. Now, it's taken me a while to get round to this movie, and I apologise for that. Um, it is absolutely i mean i really really enjoyed it but i've got i've got to really flag up a uh, well i've got to be honest basically the first time that i tried to watch this movie i gave up after about half an hour so you know if any of you um are thinking yeah i tried that and i gave it up or if any of you are, are going to watch it and think Mm, you know, just hang in there just hang in there um, yeah I mean I was just really really blessed it's about a father and son sorry father and son god father and daughter who live in the woods they live in a public park and um, you know this isn't a spoiler because it happens very early on um, authorities arrive and basically say right okay um, we're going to have to we're gonna have to take you. Uh, gonna have to take you away from here. You can't just live in a public park. That's not actually legal. And they go into the system. Now, that might not sound fascinating. It is brilliant. There, basically, there is no one is acting in this movie. It, that's how it feels. It just feels like it's a bunch of incidental characters who crop up, and, and and everybody in it just feels so real. And the story is is a heartwarming story, and a and a and you know an upsetting story at the same time really worth a watch um couldn't be more opposite to to the previous project power action movie um but i just found it totally absorbing totally absorbing and just and really i was gonna say great fun it's not great fun it's um but you really do feel like you're just watching these people experience you feel like you know you're sort of it's a window into somebody's life it, it, it is just so well acted like I said it's just so downplayed it's it's fantastic really really enjoyed that um, and I also have to mention brilliant performances from um, uh, Thomasin McKenzie who is just superb I haven't seen her in anything before she was amazing and Ben Foster now Ben Foster is one of those one of those actors where you're probably thinking oh I've never heard of him and yet if you saw a picture you'd go oh right yeah I know him a bit like Phil Jackson, who was on a few episodes ago. Um, so yeah, I, I you know it, it, it's it's fantastic. I've said enough about Leave No Trace. Next up, could again couldn't be more opposite. Death Note. Death spelled spelled D E T H. Death Note. Um, now this movie got if if you again this is why if you look things up if you look reviews up and stuff before you watch a movie, you're all you know you you are basically putting up with everybody else's opinion. So it might have a low average number, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be your kind of thing and you really enjoy it. So basically, that's what this is. It's really, really cool, really enjoyable. I Well, look, I enjoyed it. Um, it's from the comic book, and that will be why it's got a pretty much a low average score everywhere, because basically 
uh, comic book geeks have got on there and slated it. You know, oh, it's not, it's not the film. It's not the film that I imagined in my brain since I was 13 because I've been reading the graphic novels. Oh, how could they have? Um, how could they have that character played by that person? Oh, no, it just doesn't. You know, the usual, you know, fucking absolute geek bollocks. If you're coming to it as a movie and don't know anything about graphic novels, comics or anything else, it's perfectly acceptable. Perfectly good job. Um, and Willem Dafoe is perfectly creepy as the creepy voiced Death Note himself. Um, and um, and yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I'd go so far as to say I enjoyed it. Not that I didn't mind it. I enjoyed it. And so, yeah, give it a shout. Now, next up. Well, um, I'd heard this was good. And um, yeah, it is. The Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, well, it stars, and and it's it's kind of almost like a sort of um, it's 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 a bit like um, uh, Sheila Burf trying to kind of kind of save his career, basically. Um, but he is excellent, excellent in this. Um, as is um, uh, Zach Gottesagen, uh, Zach Gottesagen, or Zach Gottesagen. Um, they're a brilliant, brilliant duo. Um, and basically, Sheila Burf is a fuck-up. Uh, Zach Sagan is um, a, a guy who is basically... Um, oh, God, how would I describe it? Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of the... Um, uh, oh, look, I'm, I'm like that is Down syndrome. He suffers from Down syndrome. Okay, so, and it's this. I'd call it a road movie, road movie, but it's not. It's kind of. It's more like a sort of river movie. I, that's not. Yeah. Anyway, look, watch it. Peanut Butter Falcon. Watch it. If it doesn't warm the very cockles of your heart, then I'm sorry. The bad news is you're dead. Okay. It is just absolutely. I'm going to use this word, and I hate it when other people use it. It's absolutely delightful. That's a proper movie review. Not that I'm claiming to be a movie reviewer, but that is a proper movie reviewer's bit of uh, bit of wording there. Oh, it's delightful. It really is. It's delightful and heartwarming is what I'm saying. I think you should check it out. And if you don't enjoy it, you're dead inside. Um, um, and um, and now, um, in fact, I'm going to carry on with the with the. Um, uh, new releases and then tell you about something I rewatched. Um next up would be well it's gotta be. You've be I mean you, you wouldn't you be amazed if I didn't say something about the new Bill and Ted? Bill and Ted face the music. I watched it, really enjoyed it. Okay. Um good few laughs in it. Stupid st- stupid. Um they've managed to recreate that the same vibe that the first two had. It's kind of weird. Um, it reminded me a bit of Fury Road, Mad Max Fury Road. Now, that's not a comparison. Don't, like, yeah, I'm sure you're thinking, what the fuck? Could be interesting see- seeing you get out of this, Howard. What I mean is, um, uh, as in, I started watching Mad Max Fury Road, and it's, what, about 25 years since I watched a Mad Max film, and yet, within a few minutes, I felt like I was back in that world. And it was, like, triggering all sorts of things from 25 years ago. And I was like, good God, this, like... I'm being reminded of stuff here that happened years ago. And it's just it, really weird. Really, really weird. Well, um, Bill and Ted is exactly the same. Within five or ten minutes, it was just like, yeah. 
I'm totally back in that world and and loving it. Really enjoyed it. Um, don't want to give anything away. Suffice to say, there is plenty of time travel. There is plenty of Bill and Ted bumping into other Bill and Ted's and not robot usses this time. Um, but yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. Definitely worth checking out. Um, and I also watched a movie called Get Duked. Now, that seems to be what it's called. But the weird thing is, I I watched it um, and it was called uh, Boys, in the, uh, Boys in the Woods. Now, that is, I think, a better title. But anyway, um, Eddie Izzard does play a role in this. Um, again, it's comedy horror. I would definitely say it's better than um, the uh, aforementioned comedy horror that was Uncle Peckerhead. Um, Get Duped is definitely worth watching over that. It's 80 minutes, okay? I mean, 80, 82 minutes, which, you know, horror, comedy horror, well done. And in fact, I wouldn't sort it comedy horror, comedy thriller. Comedy, it's not even that. It's just more comedy than anything else. But... Um, uh, plenty plenty of kind of violence. Um, there were two moments in it that made me absolutely howl out loud. And, and you know, for two of those in the same movie, I'll go with that. Um, now, I doubt... I, I, I would well imagine that some people watch it and not will not find it as entertaining as I did. Well, you know, comedy is probably the most subjective of genres there is. So, good luck with that. But don't blame me if you don't like it. But I did. Okay. So, um, finally, the movie that I rewatched, Annihilation, on Netflix. Um, the all-female um, crew go behind the shimmer wall that appeared years before. It's from an it's an Alex Garland written movie. Alex Garland directed, um, and I, I watched it for the second time. And on the second watching, um, I got to take in a lot of stuff that I didn't the first time, and it is. Apart from one really annoying character who just basically ignores stuff that she sees all the time, um, despite having everybody else watching the same thing and going, oh, oh my God, look at that. Oh, that's that. And this one person going, mm, no, he isn't. <laughs> Which I just found incredibly irritating. Um, and and then the thing is, the irritation is, is, is increased because none of the other um, characters go listen idiot this is what is happening get your head you know they don't actually confront her they just let her carry on not believing in what is right in front of her which is irritating if you're me so anyway um but all in all i mean it's it's a it's a really great movie the concept is superb um there is some really really creepy shit in it um and also with a movie like this and a climax like this, there is every chance that it can end up falling apart. Um, and you've seen really good movies fall apart with that, you know, the final culmination. And you're just thinking, oh, bloody hell, that's it's not really done it, has it? It's not really got to the heights of the rest of the movie. Um, really well done. Really worth your time, in my opinion. Um, uh, you know, just... And, and yeah, just just really, really cool. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I am going to have to make a comment here. And it doesn't make me a sexist. But I am going to have to make a comment and say, yes, one of the more enjoyable all-female cast movies I've recently seen. Um, 
with the Me Too movement and everything else, um, there's a definite move for uh, within the industry, which which again, I I, I kind of, I you know, it, it's great that these movies are coming out, but also um, there's a glut of all girl movies coming out, and it's clear that basically, you know, the movie industry is going, hey, let's cash in on Me Too. Now, by the same token, if that me, do you know what I mean? If 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 women in the movie business and 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 and, and women viewers have got more to what that that's all great that's wonderful it's just there is a lot of shit out there but having said that let's say that just reflects there's a lot of shit with all male casts and 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 stuff like that so so i guess it's really it's just basically making up for all those lost years um when you know harvey weinstein was making sure that um only certain types of movies were getting made um but yeah annihilation is really really worth your time really worth your time and what else is worth your time is definitely having a listen to this next interview actually before i finish on annihilation i do want to point out that um um natalie portman is the is is the biggest name that you'll recognize from the from the all-female team um and and as always natalie portman is really good well she's really good in um leon the professional when she's about 12 um and let's face it she's pretty horrendous in the um in the Star Wars remakes but you know having said that the script she's given to work with is pretty horrendous and let's face it who wants to act opposite Jar Jar Binks even if there's no fucker there there's still got to be somebody saying the lines nearby haven't they i mean imagine that you are Natalie Portman acting to basically a tennis ball on a stick that is the height of Jar Jar Binks, which is supposed to be about seven or eight. And and some clown is off camera going, what's that you me thinking me doing? Like some twat. And you've got to try and keep a straight face and act against that. In fact, you know what? Natalie Portman, I take it all back. She's brilliant in those films because she doesn't burst out fucking laughing in every scene with Jar Jar Binks. So I take it all back. But... She she's really at her she's really at her peak in any movie where she has to play somebody that's a bit confused and, and not quite sure what's going on and emotionally vulnerable because I don't know it's just like she does that really well and um, and I'm I'm genuinely not not slagging her off um, but she genuinely does it really really well. And I'm trying to think of the other film that she's in. That's it. There it is. I'm just going to drag this out. V for Vendetta, which is a movie I love. And if you haven't, if you've never seen it, please do me a favour. And you, you've got to see V for Vendetta. Um, it's from the it's from the creator creators of the Matrix trilogy. That's right. You know, it's from the it is it is from. Well, I was going to say um, brothers, but I do believe um, it's now brother and sister, or it might actually be sisters. Um, the uh, the Wachowski well it was the Wachowski brothers and now I think it's the Wachowski sisters so I'm not sure it was Andy and Larry I'm not sure what, what they go by um, at present and that's not me being sarcastic I, I really don't and I don't really have the time or the inclination to, to look it up right now um, but hey send it in on a postcard to no one gives a shit um, and, and that's not no I don't give a shit not no right I'm not getting into the whole gender thing Anyway, all I'm saying is Natalie Portman is very good in V for Vendetta as well, where, again, uh, she's a bit like that character, a bit confused all the time and a bit, uh, yeah, just sort of, I don't know, vacant. 
I couldn't be slagging her off more, could I? She's really good at acting vacant. Um, anyway, look, like I said, uh, we now have a genuine, genuine uh, writer on the show. Writer, author, rock biographer. Well, he's he's going to tell you all about it um, uh, during the course of our conversation. Um, why wouldn't he? So uh, this was um, DX Ferris and myself. Um, having a chat, we cover all sorts of topics. It's all in here, as you're about to hear. So instead of just do, teasing it up, why don't I just get on with it? Here is DX Ferris and myself having a chat not very long ago. Well, hello there. Hello. 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 Hey, Howard, I need to pee so bad I can taste it, but I didn't want to be late. Can you give me another 60 seconds, and I'll come back rest, uh, rested and refreshed? Absolutely, dude. Okay, be right with you. No worries. Oh, welcome to the Movie Bollocks podcast. This is an interview with Slayer writer... DX Ferris. Awesome. How are you, sir? Doing well. Doing well. Is the uh, are we rolling tape? Are we live? Uh, we, 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 the old the old expression. Um, <laughs> we are we are rolling tape. Um, uh, if, if if yeah yeah. I mean you know essentially the uh, you know the microchips are doing their thing, and um, I am recording. But um, I also recorded the uh, that that earlier intro and the music so uh, it's all, it, don't worry i'm not going to use it <laughs> no please do please do in fact uh, because of your audience i have prepared today um being from america i have prepared a list of my british credibility oh really number one of course is the uh, the perishers entrance music i know what that is perishers well done uh, number two, even though uh, my my blood is principally Irish, my great grandmother Annie Liddell or Little was from Sheffield. Oh, that's not just that's just not that's not just English cred, um, uh, credentials, mate. That's Yorkshire credentials. They're even better. Yeah, there you go. You know, that's that's a whole other topic. Pittsburgh is a lot like Yorkshire, if I understand correctly. That's where I'm from. From uh, my nana. Nora Ferris. She was born in Hexham. Oh right, yeah, no Hexham. I went to a I went to a, a wedding there a couple of years ago. And I know Acid Rain have played Sheffield as well. So yeah, yeah. Oh no, we've played we've played Sheffield uh, many times over the years. Um, and um, uh, yeah, well, it sounds like you're. Um, it sounds like you've got um, yeah royal blood. <laughs> <laughs> and then quickly, I did live in the country in 1979 and 90. I lived in Ware, a little bit south of London. I remember. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I owned a Kevin Keegan Spurs soccer kit, or football as you call it. Uh, and also, quickly, Monty Python, The Young Ones, New Order, Acid Rain, and I've been really into the police lately. So basically, you're you're a bit of an anglophile. Yeah, well, it's it's in the blood, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and and also, you you were over here at a very impressionable age as well. Um, and yeah, I think yes. you, you know clearly some of that stuff has 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 really stuck with you. I remember we spoke before. What was it? There was this. There was a, a TV, a particular TV series that that it, it took the you. Boy sort of, from space. That's the, the one. 
Nobody has ever taken me up on my uh, on my begging offer to please let me know how that series ended. Uh, yeah. So if you're out there and if you watched The Boy from Space in school on early videotapes in 1979, 1980, please let me know how it ends. Look me up. I'm easy to find. <laughs> it's it's one of the many serv one of the many services that we provide here on the Bollocast. But of course, so this thank is. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Ah, no, it's it's a, it's, 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 a, it's rare an absolute... in this life that you find people that give a shit. So when <laughs> when you do, um, I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Oh, not at all, mate. Thank you. I mean, it's 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 great having you on. And and to be honest, thank you for you know thanks for flagging up to me that um, and reminding me about your Goodfellas book because of course. Um, you know your 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 credentials for being a movie bollocks guest are um you know you've got you've got a book out on one of the on one of the greatest some would say the greatest mo- gangster movie ever although it still didn't win um uh the best movie oscar which of course went to uh, dances with wolves which i'm sure nobody regrets now <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that's that's how it goes isn't it you know what does uh, what does pacino have his best actor award for yeah. Uh, it's not the Godfather. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is as well is that it, it's it's kind of like, yeah, which is uh, which is aged better? Is it Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves, <laughs> or is it Scorsese's uh, Goodfellas containing everyone? Yeah, so the book is called Good Advice from Goodfellas: Positive Life Lessons, Actionable Takeaways, Crucial Discussions, and Business Best Practices in the greatest mob movie ever made. So it is, uh, the introduction to it is about the movie itself, how it was made, but mostly it is an unprecedented, long, deep meditation on the movie and what we can learn from it. I find something like 250 life lessons in every single moment that the movie uh, depicts. I mean, I'm a absolutely fascinated by this, and b I love, I love that you've got a section called business practices because from what I remember about business practices, it would be, oh, you had a bad week, fuck you, pay me. Oh, your 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 bar burned down, fuck you, pay me. <laughs> a life's like that. Yeah, absolutely. Try and explain to your boss that you're that you're sick or you're not really feeling up to it today. They don't care. They might have fancier language to express it, but it's all the same hustle. You know, as The Godfather points out a little bit more explicitly, it's all the same hustle. Politicians, um, business people, gangsters, we're all doing the same thing. We're all getting ours. Just some of us are using more fancy language. Uh, yeah, and, um, and, and, and bigger and better uh, sums, of, sums of money and ways of getting them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, me, uh, if you're just catching up to us, uh, I'm DX Ferris. I'm <laughs> best known as that, probably. Uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a creator. I'm a writer. I'm a communicator. I'm a publisher. Mm. Uh, I've written something like nine books, depending on how you want to count them. Uh, I'm an award-winning journalist. I'm probably best known for my rock biographies. I wrote an official, very big book with a group called Donnie Iris and the Cruisers, who are a relatively obscure rock band from the 80s, but they are iconic in my hometown, Pittsburgh, which is a famous steel town. England uh, England has a lot of cities like that. 
Uh, so the other strain of my books are motivational and how-to books. Uh, the biggest and best-selling one of those, as we talked about, is good advice from good fellas. Um, it's the first of a franchise of similar books that I write, I edit, and I publish via my company, 6623 Press. At 6623 Press, we make reasonably priced, unconventional books about pop culture, success, and other cool stuff. Uh, my role models are people, my role models and my heroes are people like George Romero, Ian Mackay, Henry Rollins, uh, Howard H. Smith, <laughs> you know, Stop guys it. that uh, do their thing their way and aren't necessarily interested in uh, getting all the money and all the chips. You know, we just want to do our things. I'm not here to make friends. Uh, I'm here to just go all the way and go as far as I can with uh, what I'm doing my way. That is what Slayer did. I wrote a couple books about them. That's what uh, Henry Hill did in Goodfellas. He had some goals. He achieved them. And um, success wasn't the most healthy thing for him. So we talk about that in the book, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that, that's a sort of almost, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for moment. But there's a, there's a lot of moments like that in the movie. I mean, very much when he's, you know, when he, when he, when he gives the, when he pistol whips the guy who tries it on with his girl and then, and then sticks the gun in her hand. And I remember the movie freezes and she sort of says, you know, I knew right there and then what was going on and it's, and that this was a bad thing, but she couldn't stop herself getting involved in it. But I kind of liked it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the line. I kind of I kind of liked it. But that's what's important in life. You got to know what you like. You know, you can't live your life for everybody else's values as we're taught to. Just sometimes things call out to you. Certain things are calling your name out there in the darkness. And that is, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's what's at the heart of so many movies. It's what's at the heart of um, the hero's journey, that Joseph Campbell myth that you, you see cited in so many screenwriting lessons. You know, your your hero starts off as nobody from nowhere, but something out there is calling his or her name saying, you know, come find me, come get me, come do it. Yeah. And, and uh, maybe you make it, maybe you don't. Maybe uh, your goals aren't exactly what they were cracked up to be. Maybe in uh, achieving your goals, you create more problems, not necessarily your salvation, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, well, look, movies are... Uh, the very very if if it's a successful and a uh, good movie it's almost certainly has not veered away from the three act structure because that's quite rare where you get something that works outside of that structure and and that's kind of like life really you know you have your childhood you have you know childhood you become an adult all that is kind of like adulthood takes you up to middle age and then you're into the you're into the third act, and and I don't want to speak for both of us, but I am definitely in the third act now. <laughs> as am I, as am I. We're about the same age, so uh, you know I find myself constantly in a situation where I'm saying, "Ugh, this shit was easier when I was 26." Uh, yes, yeah. You mean like uh, running up mountains, or do you just mean stepping yeah. off? Or do you mean stepping off a curb? <laughs> Getting out of bed in the morning, all kinds of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear you, brother. I mean, I'm, I've, I've stayed, you know, very, very fit. I mean, I, I run two or three times a week, and I've, I've always been, I've always been a, a pretty fit guy. Played, played football most of my life, um, or as you guys would incorrectly call it, soccer. It's the world game, um, and um, 
Uh, but I'm, I, you know, I too am feeling it a bit. But do you know what? All of a sudden, I've, I've realised that people are listening to this and going, yeah, yeah, uh, movie podcast. This is two old guys complaining about their aches and pains. So as much as I, as much as I, um, I would love to carry on this this line of questioning. Let's get let's get straight into um, into movies. What was what was the first movie that made an impression on you? Where you thought, like, wow, these these things are a bit. Yeah, these things are a bit good. Wow, I've I've always liked them. I think that's another part of my genetic makeup. Uh, you know, my dad was an Anglophile before me. Um, you know, I came, I grew up. You know, I've heard you talk about this with uh, some of your other guests. I grew up in a a media age of scarcity when you might see a movie <laughs> one time and that yeah. could be it. You know, yeah. something like The Godfather was legendary. Um, so when I was growing up, if something like Marathon Man would come on the TV at 10 o'clock at night or 12, my dad would stay up and watch that movie. Yeah. And, uh, and he would let me stay up with him, like, watch this. And Marathon Man, that was very cool. Something pivotal in my development as a, uh, as a movie fan was this. I forget the name of the British War Museum, one of the war museums. My dad would trick me into uh, watching movies like The Great Escape. He, he talked me into watching this. And I'd say, Dad, I've seen that before. I've seen The Great Escape. And you know the movie, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of it, Steve McQueen uh, faces what in these days would be a triumphant uh, scene. He, he's going to jump his motorcycle over some barbed wire fence. Yeah. But, but in those pre-Hollywooded days, he just wrecks into... Uh, just wrecks him with the barbed wire and he's caught by the Nazis and he's sent back to his cell and he's back where he started. But my dad would trick me into watching the movie by saying, well, listen, maybe he'll make the jump this time. <laughs> and being, being eight, I said, oh, really? Wow, that's interesting. So oh, in the back brilliant. of my head, you know, when I'm watching Rounders, I think, well, maybe, maybe Mike doesn't make it this time. Maybe something's going to happen this time. When I'm watching Kill Bill, I think maybe she doesn't make that pivotal move this point. But there's a, there's a, beautiful, so, but there's a beautiful kind of, um, there's a beautiful lesson there. And and, a, and I think that's a really lovely touch of your father as well, to which is which is basically very early on in life, you discovered the joys of watching a movie more than once, which which is something I constantly go on about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we can get into my favorite directors later, but you know, I'm a lifelong not exactly insomniac, but you might as well say insomniac. I'm a hardcore, genetically wired night person. My body wants to be awake at night. And I've continually uh, recommitted to the idea that I'm going to fit into the nine to five world, no matter how ill fitting it is. So I spend a lot, a lot, a lot of nights where I have to be up at six o'clock, but it's two o'clock and I'm watching uh, Kill Bill for the 279th time this year. You know, there have been entire years when I pretty much every other night watched either a Kill Bill or uh, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen, just because they were on TV again. Now I'm I'm I'm, fa I'm fascinated on, uh, movie there. Channels, but I use those. Right, look, I'm I'm fascinated there for for several reasons. Firstly, uh, Ocean's Eleven loved it, the remake. Uh, Twelve and Thirteen, yeah, not so much, but um, I'm fascinated by the uh, by the the Kill Bill things because I, I you know. Both, both. I remember watching Kill Bill One and thinking that the highlight of it was the was the animation, um, 
and and hoping that Kill Bill 2 would make it all worthwhile and at the end of watching both of them thinking there are two movies I am never ever going to watch again and haven't well it's in the rewatches it's in the rewatches uh, Tarantino is a director that it's I, I would argue maybe impossible to appreciate his movies the first time around you almost have to see them 10 12 times now some of his movies uh, I certainly understand where you're coming from Hateful Eight saw that on the big screen don't care if i ever see it again <laughs> but kill bill was not instantly one of my favorite movies you know kill bill is something that uh, you know if not for my insomnia if not for countless incidences of nothing else being on tv i don't think i would have watched that and rewatched it but on the rewatches i've discovered things in that i've become accustomed to their rhythm i know what's going on uh, the stakes don't feel maybe as high or low. Uh, same thing with Oceans 12 and 13. You know, Oceans 12 is not popular with the people that love 11, but it is the most rewatchable one of them. But it takes a while to get to that point and recognize that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to go, to just jump back to your, your you know, your, um, your Tarantino, um, your Tarantino chat. I, I've, I've got to say, I, I'm... Uh, as good as some of his movies are, there's very, very rarely um, would one of his movies not be improved by removing 20 to 25 minutes. Um, when you look at Reservoir Dogs and how he made his name and how it's a 90-minute movie without an inch of fat on it, and Pulp Fiction goes in the same way but with a slightly little bit more fat, and then you get to Jackie Brown and you, you're struggling to see the meat for the fat... And and there's just for me there is just so many self indulgent indulgent tendencies, including casting himself in Hateful Eight. He doesn't cast himself, but he can't resist doing a voiceover, which is unnecessarily and and ruins the film. By the way, I know somebody who's done a two hour um, edit of Hateful Eight, and it's a great movie. So remind really? me. Really? So yeah. it's better in the shorter form, not oh, the longer. Oh, without a doubt, it's just cut all the fat, and it just zips along. And you're absolutely just, you know, you're, you're absolutely spellbound by it, as opposed to sitting there thinking, there's a lot of snow around. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> well, that's, that's something that I do in, in the kind of work that I do. I call it the documentarian dilemma. I've never made a music documentary, but I've made uh, a very short music book, and I've written a 220,000-word book uh, that's, a coffee page or a, sorry a coffee table book very big book uh with 75 chapters that gets into all of the possible uh details you could possibly want about a band that not a lot of people care about <laughs> so when i say uh the documentarian dilemma i mean what do you do when you're documenting something or even making a film do you make it shorter for the people that are not as interested or do you go super super long for the people that love it I mean, if you love Tarantino and you love uh, Hateful Eight, maybe you want four hours of that shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. sure, if you're making a documentarian or a, a music documentary, do you go 90 minutes on the whole story of ZZ Top? Um, or do you make the four-hour Tom Petty documentary? I want the four-hour Tom Petty documentary. Yeah, um, I can see that. I want every little detail about everything. I want every digression. I want to know about the side projects. I want to know about context. Um, but, you know, that's the dichotomy of life. Sometimes you do certain things and sometimes you don't. Um, 
Jackie Brown. I don't want a longer version of that. No, no. Um, there, I, but again, I, I think we, you know we've ended up focusing on Tarantino, but um, even something, even something like um, Django Unchained. I just, you know, it, 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 there, there is some brilliant scenes in that, and overall, I enjoy the film. Apart from Christoph Waltz giving that Christoph Waltz performance yet again, um, yes. but um, it's just, you know, there's a good twenty five minutes you can hack out of that movie. I mean, I mean, and it wouldn't even be difficult. You would, it's. I mean, do you know what I mean? I watch it, and I don't think, oh, you know, there's, oh, it, it, it you know, you'd, you'd have to sit down and. Re- it's like no, there's bits in it where they're just screaming out, "Chop this!" But you know. yeah, I mean, uh, Tom, Tom, uh, Mark Twain, Mark Twain famously said uh, in a letter, "Sorry, it's so long. If I had more time, it would be shorter." Yeah, very good. Yeah, very good. And and uh, as a writer, I know that it's it's much harder to go short than it is to go long. Uh, I agree, but bearing in mind when we're talking movies, which we should be talking show, don't tell, and um, there, yeah, for me, there is just there's just way too baggage, it's, uh, too much baggage in that particular movie. Um, right, I mean. I'm- Judd Apatow has made a career of that. You know, instead of making a lean 90-minute movie, he makes yeah. the, the two-and-a-half-hour movie that has those moments that you just live in. And yeah, I, you know, Some yeah. people like that. Some people do not so much. Well, I'm, I'm a big... I mean, obviously, you know, given that I do stand-up as well, I'm, I'm always in search of great comedy movies. And this leads me to just do a, a, just do a sidebar and say, everybody listening, and your good self if you haven't seen it, um, give the fundamentals of caring a watch on Netflix. Um, it's a Netflix original, stars Paul Rudd. Even if you don't like Paul Rudd, watch it anyway. Um, Which I do. Yeah, I mean I do as well. But it's a great, it's a great example of a ninety-five minute comedy movie. And you know why you can make a ninety-five minute comedy movie? Because there isn't a needless romantic subplot. Because in most Hollywood comedies you have to have a um, a um, romantic subplot and straight away that means that there is going to be a section where they split up and you try and get them back together that's going to take 20 to 25 minutes and there's going to be no jokes in that section and right i mean can you, know, you imagine goodfellas with studio notes i mean it's kind of a romance but not really you know? <laughs> uh, uh, y- yes if you had somebody from the studio saying let's take this karen thing and tease it out a little bit I don't think that's a better movie. No, absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, well, you know, Scorsese, I don't think really is interested in anybody's notes other than his own. Exactly. Which is why he's one of my heroes. He's doing his thing his way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what did you think to his comments about um, uh, about superhero movies uh, not being sort of really cinema and being more akin to... Um, uh, amusement park rides yeah i see where he's coming from but you know later on when we talk about uh favorite uh genres you know my favorite two genres are uh time travel and superhero movies i love those marvel movies i waited my whole life for those marvel movies there was a point that i had given in and thought that those marvel movies were just impossible and it would never happen so i spent very much 40 years of my life thinking why can't i just get a good hulk movie not hulk's a bad example hulk tv show is good but iron man captain america uh you know it took all the way until uh, captain america the winter soldier that i thought yes 
it's possible. They've made a good superhero movie. I love them. So I understand what he meant about them being thrill rides. Uh, most of them are not known for their cinematography. I don't know that we've had a lot of great scores as such. You know, I don't know if uh, if the Marvel filmmakers do what Scorsese values in a film. You know, they're not necessarily uh, reinventing the form. Um, I think Black Panther is the best drama in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. But um, it's not a very good-looking movie most of the time. I think uh, a lot of visual things fight against it. So I see what he's saying, and I like to think I recognize the nuances of it. But I love those movies. Those are important to me. That is, uh, in many ways, I, I think some of the evolutionary pinnacle of movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, uh, you know, nothing is nothing's ever been even been attempted like that. You know, to make so many movies and to have them intertwining. Um, and uh, you know, all kind of, all working towards one point, you know, one end game, if you like. <laughs> um, ah. it, it's you know, I, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's never been done before. Yeah, and and they're all very good, good, some great. I mean, none of them is universally recognized as a dud that was pointless, and that's amazing. That's an accomplishment. So, you know, on one hand, I'm very interested in what it takes to be a successful maverick that can just kind of live off the land. And on the other hand, I like juggernauts. I like big sports yeah. franchises that have just made the correct decisions for 40 years straight. That's very hard. How do you do that? You know, I'm interested in that, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I'll, I love a, you know, I love a, a darkly lit, um, edgy, low budget independent movie. But by the same token, you know, give me something that costs 200 million and has got and is very loud <laughs> um, and angry and, and I'm in. Right. Yeah. I mean, Scorsese has certainly whiffed himself. I mean, Gangs of New York. What was that about? What happened there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a movie that I've tried to find in the rewatches. Uh, it's on cable a lot the last couple of years. It uh, never quite pulls me in for more than a scene or two. You've just rediscovered, um, or not rediscovered, or properly discovered Last of the Mohicans, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, I've been a fan of Last Mohicans since it was uh, since it was released. You know, I've always liked it. I always loved the soundtracks. One of my favorite soundtracks and scores. But I really got religion about it this year. I'm not sure why. It just uh, kind of found me in a new way. I mean, I reached something about it called to me, and I reached for a uh, Blu-ray that I'd owned for a couple years and not opened up for whatever reason. And uh, wow, you know, you can make a point for that, or you can make an argument for that being the best movie, or if not the best, then certainly as good as movies get. It's one of those movies like Goodfellas that, Everything is in there in some way. It just explains like an entire way of life, a code of existence, a way to be, uh, what being alive on the planet means. Uh, it's all there, man. Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, I, and I, do you know what? I'll I'll admit, I don't think I've actually seen it. Really? Yeah. Get on that shit, Howard. There's your homework. <laughs> it is, isn't it? In fact, I should yeah. I should have got on that shit as soon as you sent me that email saying that you'd rediscovered it. So well, next time, next time I'll come back. I, that, well, that's we very talk that, about that's... hostiles, though. I mean, uh, yes. for as much as West Duty, uh, the amazing uh, actor, does in in the movie Hostiles, um, he 
he does a lot more in Last of the Mohicans. I mean, he's he's a literally iconic actor. Uh, but in Hostiles, though, it's a very still performance in which that guy just has the weight of the world and Western culture on his shoulders. Uh, yeah. You know, as, as a American indigenous person. And what he does in Last of the Mohicans is he is one of the great movie antagonists. I won't call him a villain. He's just uh, a lot of his interests are directly um, not aligned with what uh, the antagonists of the movie have to do. And he is, uh, as much as anybody else in the history of cinema, he's somebody trying to stop your heroes. And he's not wrong. Nothing in his arguments or actions is unreasonable. But he's got to stop the guys that you're rooting for. And uh, if you haven't seen that, that alone makes it a, a total must-see. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to give that a watch. And, um, yeah, I, I only recently discovered Hostiles. I mean, literally, I probably watched it about six, seven months ago. Um, uh, actually, actually, it's longer than that ago because six, seven months ago it had been lockdown, which is weird. Um, um, but it, I mean, it's got it's got one of the most brutal opening ten to fifteen minutes you can ever see in a movie. I yeah, mean, it does. I mean, Hostiles, if you haven't seen it, is kind of a western. It's kind of a western in the way that Goodfellas is kind of a gangster movie. Yeah. Uh, what I mean is the common thread of those is that it presents the mythology of the gangster, of the Western, of the cowboy, of the Indian, of the, of the cops, the robbers. But it strips away all the romance from it. Now, Goodfellas certainly has romance in the first two thirds of the movie. But uh, Hostiles takes a lot of the, the, the romance and the flowery underpinnings of Westerns and says, there's nothing cool about this. People are getting shot. People are dying. People are uh, waving their flag for freedom, but uh, they're also paying the consequences for it, and people are dying unnecessarily. Yeah, and there's also a um, uh, th- there's also a kind of um, it, it, it's not it's not a it's not a all sweetness and light happy ending as well. You know, you know the guy doesn't get the girl, etc. It's it, it 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 doesn't compromise at any stage. It just kind of it just kind of sort of lays it out for you. And go there, you go. This this was not. You know, this was not a very nice time to be alive, basically. Right, right, yeah. It, it's not It's not a romance. It's Here's what you have. You know, life is small. You have a couple options. Pick one, and maybe that's good enough. Uh, maybe that's all you have regardless. Yeah, yeah. And um, no, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, now, time travel, I am going to go, um, because anybody who likes time travel, I would always recommend... Um, getting your head around the TV series Travelers. I've not watched that. Well, buddy, you have three seasons of awesomeness in front of you. Um, like I said, it's called Travelers. It's a Netflix series. Um, I think it's still on there. It is done. It's over, which is which is a shame. Um, but it's done brilliantly. And and the thing is, when it finishes, you genuinely laugh, left with that feeling of, wow, you know, they always say, you know, always leave the crowd wanting more. And that is exactly how you feel when, the, you know, when it ends. Um, but it's one of the more creative and cleverly written time travel things that I've seen. Because every time you start thinking about, hang on, if that was there and that they beat you to it. Every single time, you even if you start just half a thought of, 
um, hang on, that doesn't make sense. You, there will be an explanation for you coming along. You just have to wait. And it's really? just, yeah, yeah, it's really, really well done. Really well done. Um, and mo- and that, that's, that's what makes Bill and Ted Part Two one of my favorite time travel movies. Have you, you seen know, number it, three? It has, have you really seen number three? Fun with the mechanics of it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but have you I seen love number the scene three? Where they're trapped in the cage, and they say, "Well, uh, when we do get out of here, what we're going to do is go back in time and arrange it so we can escape the cage." Uh, well, so we do have the key. Well, in which in which case you are going to really enjoy Bill and Ted Three then. Really? <laughs> oh, it's 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 very much about time travel. It's not long before they manage to find the um, the telephone box again. <laughs> So, so my uh, my list of uh, things that I've added to my must sees here, uh, thanks to Howard, are uh, Travelers and In the Line of Fire. That's on my list. Oh, In the Line of Fire's on your list, thanks to me, is it? Yes, thank you. Right. Okay. When did I mention that? Oh, uh, on one of the old ones. I was listening to uh, some of your older episodes uh, to make sure I was prepared for this one, and you spoke of it glowingly. Uh, your old mate uh, who. Get the guy's name. Oh, Gary, Gary Foley. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. So you spoke of it in a way that was compelling and intriguing. So that is on my list. Well. Um, well. Funnily enough, I'm going to have Gary on. Um, I'm going to have Gary on again because um, he's he's a man that created his very own video shop um, and literally used to have like you know we we'd, we'd go round and you'd go into his room which was just full of videos and he'd and he'd just like hire them out <laughs> and you could keep them for a few days and bring them back i mean it was just absolutely ridiculous but it was i mean it was just hilarious um but those like as you were saying earlier you know that, you know we're, we're kind of pre-internet people so it does mean that you know, sometimes when we found movies to watch, it was just finding the movie in the first place was 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 like filing a diamond in the rough. Yeah, I mean, you've you've heard of this movie called Clockwork Orange, right? Yeah. No, I heard it's fucked up. It does yeah. all kinds of stuff. And then finally, once you can get a copy of it, oh, what can I do to keep this? How can I make a copy of it? I I still have this kind of starvation mindset where I I'm surrounded by this giant unnecessary library of old DVDs and videotapes and VHS tapes that um, I just I can't get rid of because you know again I grew up in this age where oh Escape from New York's on HBO at 2.30 in the morning well you better stay up and watch that shit because who knows when you're going to see it again Yeah. so I've got these countless spindles full of DVDs of shit copies of movies that I might want to watch again but now I have such an archive and I'm never going to go back and get any of it and by the time I get the uh, the time to go back and watch The Shield the entire series um, by the time I have enough time I'll be able to say to my kids listen can you just download that into the microchip in my brain and I can have it kind of flash through my brain without taking the time to watch it yeah I know, I know what you mean and I and I watched um, uh, what was it um, I watched the whole of The Shield um, purely back when we used to box it, and somebody said, "Oh, it's a really good, it's a really good, you know, it's a really good cop series." So I watched it, and and I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, um, especially because it's probably the first thing of note that Walton Goggins did. And then the next right. se- the next series series he did, which I absolutely love, is with Timothy Oliphant, and it's uh, Justified. Justified, yes. Ah, oh, 
not enough people know, you know about I, that show. I watched all of the Shield watching Walton Goggins, thinking, you know, this guy is so good. He's yeah. so good. It's a shame because he's creating this unforgettable character, and he will always forever be known as Shane. That's just all it is. He he did his job too well. So I thought that he would just be uh, forever linked with that performance. And I'm so glad to have been so wrong about that. Uh, I mean, Justified for me is just, it's it's an absolute gem that so many people are unaware of. Um, and the fact that it's, but the, the, the fact they made five seasons out of a an Elmore Leonard short story is amazing. But the fact that they managed to nail Elmore Leonard's kind of humour and keep it going all the way through, despite the fact that he passed away after season one, it's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, so, something that that I've maintained for years was, uh, you know, again, I made my name as a music writer, somebody that wrote about music. Um, I don't know if I ever considered myself a critic very much, but uh, I was a music journalist. And when I started losing interest in music, uh, it was probably around 2008. And um, I thought about getting into TV. You know, at that time, there were only three or four really remarkable critics. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. You know, I don't know if I'd be as good as them, but uh, it would be fun to write about music and have an excuse to, to process all this stuff. But at that late stage in my career, I thought, you know, listening to music has become a chore. It's become a job. I'm not really that into it. You know, it's been a while since I really cared about much. And I didn't want that to happen to TV. But it has, you know, for over 10 years now, it has been my thesis that television is the new movies. I'm sorry, television is the new music. Television is the new music. Yeah. Music has become easy to make. Uh, one person can sit down and create a very impossibly complicated album. Maybe it'll be good, maybe it's not. But uh, TV is where that kind of collaboration really lives. It's where you can find a, a producer-band relationship. It's where you can really unpack a lot of ideas. It's where all the money goes. You know, you can take five years to develop something like Justified. Um I'm not interested in music much anymore. I'm interested in TV. You know, in some ways, that's where filmmaking has gone. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. You, I, I kind of get that. I, I, I do understand. I think the thing is, we've got so much high quality TV, and we've got and 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 almost like you know, music and TV are are equally accessible um, to anybody, um, and unfortunately. You know, it, it's is that it's quite easy to get. It's quite easy to um, to I don't know, become very blasé with with both. Um, and I especially yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, again, as a superhero fan, I don't know if you get them all in uh, in in England, but for a while, I was a very big fan of uh, the the DC superhero shows like uh, Supergirl, Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Green Arrow or Arrow, as it's properly called. And those just, uh, somehow they became boring to me. The fact that they have to create 25, 22, 26, whatever episodes. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Green Arrow, um, but it just became too much. Just, just, too, yeah, exactly. just too many episodes, really, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, like I've, I... Theoretically, it's impossible for me to say, yeah... 
there was a bad girl show and I stopped watching it for, or a bad woman show, but there was a bad woman show and it was on every week and watching it became a chore. I was not interested because every week I felt like, well, this is the same episode, isn't it? You know, I, I never felt like that reading comic books, you know, even though it's essentially the same story, I never thought, oh, well, this is Batman. I've seen it before, but something about those shows just over and over and over again you know, and maybe it's the difference between having, you know, true creative auteur vision and having a uh, board of directors to report to. But, um, you know, they just want same, same, same. And at a certain point, the flash became boring to me. Um, I made it through. I watched every episode of Arrow, but I skipped a lot of them. I mean, certain plots I would just fast forward through. Sometimes I would watch the first 10 minutes of an episode and the last 10 minutes and everything in between was filler. Um, and that should be impossible. How is there a flash show that I'm not totally gripped by every week? Well, it can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I've had the, I've honestly, as you were speaking, then I was just nodding along and this is exactly, exactly how I felt as well. And it, and it is, it's just the fact that it's, it's, just too many episodes you can't you can't be doing 22 episodes of a guy who gets dressed up at night and goes and fights crime yeah or you know it, it takes a lot of time and, and innovation to produce those you know i mean my my favorite tv my favorite super tv shows are the boys on amazon do you watch that, oh, you get that? I, I i've um yeah i'm three i'm i'm three episodes down on that well i've watched the new three episodes put it that way Excellent. And uh, Umbrella Academy on Netflix. And those are, you know, eight, ten episode seasons. That's perfect. That's and you, you, you know who um, you know who co-wrote the Umbrella Academy? Uh, Jared Way? Yeah. Uh, Mad. Yeah. Well, Mad, I, isn't created. it? It's guys like that are fascinating to me. You know, guys like him. Like, how, how do you walk around being that talented? Is it tiring? Is it exhausting? Uh, like, well, what do you want to do? Have a great band, create some comic books, maybe make some movies. I don't know. Like, I yeah. struggle hard to be half decent at one thing. I know it's it's it is it is incredible. Sometimes it does feel like you know one person got all the talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people just are more. You know, I mean, you look at people that are somewhat athletic, and then you look at a real athlete that can effortlessly do a uh, do a backflip. Uh, somebody like Jason Statham, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of him. Uh, somebody like Vinnie Jones, you know, like how can you do oh. so many different things? Okay, well let me just stop you there, okay? And uh, and uh, a uh, Jason Statham, my Jason Statham story is. Um, well, I know you, I know you're a big fan of Guy Ritchie. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, very. Well, look, I had I had lunch with Jason Statham um, and his and and Kelly Brook, who was his girlfriend at the time, um, really? uh, as I was dating somebody in the industry. And um, and he was and he was you know very pleasant, really nice guy. Also, you know he's an ex Olympic diver, so hence that's where you know his physicality comes from. And as for Vinnie Jones, Vinnie Jones is the only man in Hollywood with a Leeds United champions tattoo on his leg because he played for my beloved Leeds United. Right. So you've you've really yeah you've tapped into a bit of a favourite mind. I mean he can't act to save his life, but physically. Um, you know, he's up there with anybody on screen. Yeah, I and mean, those guys have presence. You know, some people just are more, some people can do more. You know, that doesn't make them the Superman necessarily, but 
some people are gifted in a way that I am not, man. And that's interesting to me. Uh, I, I agree, but I also think there's plenty of people listening to this would be thinking, oh, come on, dude, give me a break. I'd give anything to be able to write a book. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, one of the, the through lines in my life is that, you know, I'm, I'm supremely gifted at a lot of things that do not make much money. Oh, well, I, yeah, so, we, we, de- we definitely share that in common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in my something that nobody ever tells you in, you know, not in the schools that I went to anyway, uh, nobody ever says, listen, uh, you can learn how to write, but there's no fucking money in it, kid. Like, I wish somebody would have at some point articulated that thought to me, would have given me something to think about. You know, on the other hand, I'm just doing what I can do the best I can. But uh, it's amazing how little money there is in art. You know, I just listened to uh, Mastodon's uh, Troy on a a podcast that I love, uh, Dean Delray's podcast, Let There Be Talk. And he was talking about being on tour, maybe last year, the year before, being on tour in Chicago and seeing a bass that he liked from the 1970s and looking at it and going, wow, that's nice, but I, uh, I don't have 4,000 bucks to spare right now. Yeah. That, that was striking to me. You know, this guy is in like one of the biggest rock bands, certainly one of the most significant. You know, they're not selling Metallica levels of merchandising or tickets, but Mastodon is a successful fucking band. And for that guy to look at a bass and go, ah, it's four grand, I can't afford that right now. You know, it it makes you realize that uh, that aspect of creativity and success that uh, people don't discuss often, you know? You can give your whole life to something and there's just not much money in it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, well, it's the way it's the way of the world, and I think you know everybody is everybody's feeling it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, that's just how it is. You know, I, I could I have a list of I think seventeen secret evil plans. I call them little projects I could do. I could sit down right now and I could work on books for the next ten years. Um, I have enough work I could do. I have enough things I want to work on. I have enough ideas. I just don't necessarily generate enough cash with all those to be able to do it full time. And it's it's like that for writers of all stripes. You know, if you're on a major press and you get a decent promotion promotional push, unless you're selling high six figures, the press probably doesn't care about you. You know, if you're on a corporate press and you only sell twenty thousand copies they don't care. They're not impressed. They want to deal with the people that make a ton of money. You know, if I sell them that many copies, that's good for me. That's success. I can live off that kind of money. Yeah. And, uh, and speaking of which, have you ever been, have you ever been tempted to, um, to, to, to write a film script? Are you, are you a frustrated screenwriter? Not frustrated. I mean, I, I have, you know, among my many projects that I would like to do, I mean, I don't have a film script on there. I have things I would like to do, but I'm just, I'm not moving in that direction. I have a couple horror movie ideas that I want to do as a comic script or, yeah, as a comic book, uh, graphic novel script first. And I think it would be easier to get them made like that. I don't have to go through the whole rigmarole of, getting a zillion people to fall in line and agree to a movie. But I think with two or three people working hard and diligently, we could create a graphic novel and then we could sell that graphic novel as a movie. If you follow me. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I have aspirations of going that way, but I'm not a, uh, I'm not the kind of guy walking around with a script in my pocket saying, read this, read this, make it. Did that yeah. answer your question? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, so do, do you, you know, do you, have you, have you ever kind of sat down and gone, right, you know, I'm, I'm going to write a movie script? Yeah, you know, as, as a kid, I mean, I have a couple ideas rolling around in my head. You know, I'm, uh, I'd like to make a college movie. You know, as a kid, I, I sat down and tried to make that happen, and it just wasn't happening at the time. Uh, I have a couple ideas for heavy metal movies that I think are, are pretty good. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, Velvet Goldmine, but with thrash metal. Well, you know what? I think, it. you know, any any movie that is even... I mean, you know, Bill and Ted, they're not, they're not banned movies, but but they're as close as you, uh, you're going to get. It's so hard to make something that is um, believable, that, you know, has any ring of authenticity around it. And I have to say, that is why massive hats off to Bradley Cooper and his remake of A Star Is Born, because I found that, I found that to be just awesome, frankly. Oh, oh, here, here, you've opened the can of worms here, mate. Yeah, I love oh. that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> a Star is Born um, does a lot of things that I had thought were impossible to do in a music movie. Um, a lot of things that happen in movies are these tiresome tropes that are just not realistic. Um, yeah. The idea that oh, an audience can see a song for the first time and just be enthralled by it and taken away and say, well, this is uh, this is something transcendent. This is good. I'm mesmerized by this song. That doesn't fucking happen. You know, <laughs> yeah. you have to know the song. You have to get into it. You have to watch it. But in A Star Is Born, the first time that she gets on stage with Bradley Cooper, you're hearing the song for the first time. You're hearing shallow and it's entrancing. And I, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. It works. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I, even right from right from the very opening scene, when it is him playing with his band, um, and straight off the bat, I was like, "This is a tune. You know, there's there's riffs in this. He's playing that. This is, you know, str- that." I just think the credentials of the movie to be able to be authentic are almost right there in the opening scene. Because by by the time that song's finished, it ain't Bradley Cooper on screen. It's it's the character. It's the rock star. Right, and at no point are you watching the the, the movie and pretending to like music, saying, yes, I understand what this song is supposed to represent, but I don't really feel it. <laughs> Yeah, and that—that's a whole other comp. We can do probably several episodes of any <laughs> podcast talking about music movies. You know, I, I have a short list of movies where the music is absolutely perfect for what it's supposed to be. You know, movies like Scott Pilgrim, where the movie uh, and the music in it maybe isn't super great, but that's okay. It's an indie rock band. It's perfectly modulated for what it should be. And uh, in A Star Is Born, when Ali's making her. Um, What's the song? Um, why oh, you come yeah. around me in those jeans? Oh, why do you do that? Yes. And it's not a great song, but it's not supposed to be a great song. It's a satire of, of what pop music, sadly, is often. But that's perfect. It's it's exactly what it should be. Yeah, and and I have to I have to say as well that you know, 
Lady Gaga in that movie is excellent. Uh, absolutely excellent. And I don't think she'll ever do anything that good again because, funnily enough, the forerunner for that is um, um, is Courtney Love in um, uh, The People versus Larry Flint with Woody Harrelson. Um, yeah. Yeah, where, that's, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. How did how did Courtney Love ended up getting nominated for an Oscar? Well, how she was able to put in such a great performance is she plays the part of a of a of a heroin addict whore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you know, one could say that she it was the part she'd been auditioning for all her life. Um, but she is brilliant in it. I mean, you know, all jokes aside, and that is a fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, the People versus Larry Flint um, never got as never got the recognition it deserved because of its subject matter. Which, for those aren't aware, uh, Larry Flint is basically he created the very he created Hustler magazine. He created basically he was the one that said no, the Constitution does not say I cannot sell pornography. Um, yeah, I mean, interestingly, that movie is a very good primer on American press law. I mean, if you are a journalism student or if you're into writing or free speech, um, it's oh, yeah. a very good crash course in what you are and are not allowed to say in the American system of uh, America. Well, well, also, I think it's a great it's also a great um, it's also a great kind of red flag for. Um, yeah. If you're in a particular state, um, they may well rule something illegal that they don't actually have the power to rule that that is illegal because they're basically, you know, overruling the uh, the American Constitution. And so you have to go, you have to go higher and higher to actually get a genuine legal opinion uh, and a genuine legal ruling as opposed to a bigoted, we don't want that kind of thing in our state ruling. Yeah, yeah legitimate legal rulings used to be a fairly big thing in America. <laughs> oh and no! I'll leave it at that. Oh god, no! Yeah, we 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 are both teetering on the, on the edge of a precipice here. That's that you know, we go tumbling into it, and and the the movie podcast, you know, is is left ashore as we tumble well, down. Back to good fellas. Back to good fellas. Yes, yes. They good thinking. Good thinking. Is what you can get away with. Yeah. What is legal is what you can get away with, and I think if you look at good fellas through the prism of twenty first century American politics. Um, I think a guy in a red tie could uh, could go far by pushing those boundaries. I don't know. I, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, I know. I'm, and and there is and when you talk about like you know business practices and the uh, Goodfellas as well. When you talk about you know, I just think yeah, you know, it's it, it's you know why why leave anyone alive? You know, if you if you kill everybody, there's definitely no witnesses. No matter how much you may like somebody or how many years you may have known them. Um, it's still not worth having them around. Yeah, I think the, the big lesson from Goodfellas is that they do their best when they're generous. You know, when the rising tide is lifting all the boats, everybody's doing well, everybody's getting paid, but when they start cutting out people to keep this and keep that, and maybe they have their reasons, maybe not, maybe it was necessary, maybe not, but when everybody gets greedy and tries to be the one person that profits out of it, um, the whole system falls apart pretty quickly when everybody is pursuing their self-interests over what is good for the group, for the tribe. Yeah, yeah. And um, and also, I think you also um, find out that there are 
there are certain even in even in that world it doesn't matter who you are there is certain things you don't do you right and, and that's and that is whack a made guy without permission yeah yeah well it, it all comes down to the money you know the made guys are keeping the money in you know you can't take away somebody that is a, a foundation of it that is keeping all the uh Keeping all the order together. Yeah, keep, well, keeping keeping everybody in line because there's a figurehead and 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 you know it, this person run you know runs a business, be it you know um, be it construction or be it um, you know garbage. Um, yeah, you got to keep them in line. So I I'm interested to, to for instance for me yes greatest gangster movie ever is Goodfellas totally agree greatest mob tv show well there is there's only one worth even mentioning um and that is the sopranos well yeah it's it's my argument in the book that uh, you know the godfather is you know certainly great movies you know godfather probably the second best mob movies but the godfather takes gangster mythology to sunday morning you know we yes. see church scenes in a gangster yeah. movie yeah yeah oh we see and, and we see we see we see love at first sight over in italy and all of that Right, and uh, Goodfellas is is the rock and roll version of that. Goodfellas is gangsters on a Friday night and a Saturday night. Yeah. And what The Sopranos does is it takes the gangster lifestyle and it transports <laughs> yeah. it to Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, Mon- Monday to Friday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like what I love about Sopranos is it's, there's lo- there's loads of scenes um, um, down at the nightclub. And invariably, you will have like you know, half naked women dancing around in the background, but it, it's you just you just never notice because it's like whenever there's a scene there, it's so pivotal. You know things are going to kick off. Yeah, at a certain point, your work just becomes your work. Like, oh god, I gotta 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 go to the strip bar again and deal with these the manager and the money. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bada, bada bing, isn't it? Bada bing. Yeah, bada bing. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there is there is there is great kind of you know uh, parallels with um, Godfellas and uh, sorry Godfellas, Goodfellas and Sopranos. Apart from obviously, Sopranos is the next generation. It starts with the fact that our you know the, the our, our mob boss um, may be having you know mental issues and is seeing a psychiatrist, which again I think is just possibly one of the, the the greatest log lines for a tv movie ever you know i mean for a tv movie a tv series you go in and you pitch that to some to some people at a um at a production company or a hbo and you just say it's about it's about you know a mob boss and his family literally he's both his families but he's struggling with um stress and depression and starts seeing a psychiatrist and it's just like right i want to hear another 50 episodes of that yeah and that's something that was so ahead of the curve. I mean, think yeah. back to 98, 99 when that started. I mean, we've made leaps and bounds as far as acceptance with uh, the realities of mental illness, challenges, whatever you want to call it. You know, yeah. I, mean, I, I think everybody is crazy if you get close enough to them. You know, you just need to find people that are compatible with your kind of crazy and hopefully you'll get along. <laughs> well, well, Sopranos, you're right. You point out the year, you know, it started. And I think you, if you go back, you, you look at basically the this this great golden age of TV that we live in now 
was really kicked off by three TV series, and that was uh, Sopranos, The Wire, and Twenty Four, because those those three kind of, you know, with with Twenty Four, it was the split screen, real time, all action. Um, you, you you know they they started doing things like oh right we found out there's a mole and you find out in the beginning of the episode now traditionally you wouldn't find out for another 10 episodes you know nobody in the nobody you know in wherever was being um spied on would find out who the mole was for another 10 episodes whereas with 24 you'd find yourself before the end of the episode the mole has been revealed and it's like ah oh, right okay so this is a compl- this is working on a completely different kind of level it just threw a lot of practiced television um tropes out the window and just went no we're going to ramp it up a level we are going to keep people breathless and moving all the time and then you know sopranos was just this this incredible anti-hero because tony soprano is a thoroughly disgusting abominable human being and you love him and you want him to do well you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And then, and then you've got um, the wire, which is the you know the very One of first. My oh, that, I... that's another. I mean, that's that's everything. That's yeah. that's a show that was so far ahead of its time. I mean, that's that's America. Well, it's I mean, so far ahead of its scene, time. They're yeah. using pages for God's sake. Gotta let it in the game. Yeah. Oh, the thing with the, the thing with the wire is, it's like in twenty four, you've almost got your kind of Hollywood drama. With with The Wire, it's almost a documentary, and with Sopranos, it's sort of film noir. You know, it's it's. I mean, those three for me are are what this generation of TV is built on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, what makes uh, The Shield some of the best TV ever, for my money? You know, in some ways, it is like the best TV show ever, in the sense that. Um, I think it has the fewest missteps the shield does. I mean, very few of its plot lines fizzle. Um, by the end of season one, the tension is unbearable. They're painted into a corner and there's no place they can go. And they only get painted further and further into that corner. It just gets tenser and tenser and tenser. And that certainly is built on a foundation of those, you know, in the Sopranos, there's no escape 24 tenser and tenser and tenser and tensest. Um, yeah, and, and the wire, you know, the wire does something really interesting to me. You know, um, my favorite character in the wire is sober McNulty. And I think the worst character in it is drunk McNulty. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a guy played so, so authentically by Dominic, Dominic West, who is from, uh, also from Sheffield. Yeah. As I'm checking my IMDb here. It's really interesting to me the British actors that have made such uh, such good work out of playing uh, American characters. Stephen Graham, who you've mentioned before on this show. Yeah. I mean, how does that guy go from the comic relief in Snatch? Have, have you still not seen Snatch? I still haven't seen Snatch, I'm afraid, yeah. Uh, I understand. I understand. Oh, by the way, but how hang do you go on, from hang the on. comic relief in that to playing a mob boss in The Irishman? I mean, that's how do you do that? You know, um, did I did I tell? I think I I think I told my uh, Stephen Graham anecdote about filming the Irishman on the podcast, didn't I? I didn't hear that one. Oh right, okay. Well, basically, um, 
um, yeah, I was listening to an interview with him, and it was brilliant. And he was saying it was the scene where, um, spoiler alert, um, uh, uh, Pacino is in jail, and and he's in jail as well. You people. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Said you yeah, people. yeah. Uh, well, they're in. Well, uh, they're in the kitchen. It's just the two of them, and they're in the kitchen. And Pacino is finishing. He's he's eating his ice cream. His bowl of ice cream, and um, and Stephen Graham went up to went up to catering and said like you know how many more have you got another bowl of ice cream how many have you got in this we've got two bowls he goes right okay so that bowl he's on there's another bowl left and they're like yeah okay right so um so Scorsese says you know right roll and you know they're doing the scene and Stephen Graham stands up and and, and swipes the table and, and swipes the ice, ice cream off the table and it smashes on the floor and he and he grabs him by the lapels and um and uh, Scorsese shouts cut and uh, straight away Stevens Graham's sort of like oh you know there you go you know, sorry about that and Pacino doesn't even look at him he just turns he just turns around and goes hey Marty did you see that the kid scared me <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like and, and Stephen Graham's telling this story going like He's calling me the kid. I'm forty fucking five years old. <laughs> you know, um, I think that's one of the interesting things about the movie life to me. You know that you can see somebody in literally a small role, and then like over the years they they develop. You know, somebody like Billy Bats in Goodfellas, just like a small role, but you take that two minutes in the spotlight, and what do you do with it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a lesson from Goodfellas. Yeah, and you see, but you see, you see this everywhere. You're right. I mean, it's it, you know, you see people who do. Funnily enough, the the, the last, um, uh, yeah, the the last one of those I noticed was watching. Um, uh, I watched the first Batman movie, Batman Returns, and there's a little blonde-haired boy in it who who asks for Batman's help, and it's bloody it's Joffrey from Joffrey. Game of Thrones, <laughs> <laughs> you know, who went who you know who went on to. I think he's actually retired from acting because he was such a hateful, despicable character in Game of Thrones. And he got so yeah, he much... Yeah, job a little bit too well. Yeah, he got so much abuse that I think he's basically... If he hasn't retired, he's certainly taking time out. <laughs> Which is just crazy. But Oh, by the another film that springs to mind that if it's not on your list, please put it on your list because it's, it's a real Anglophiles movie. And that is Dead Man's Shoes. Dead Man's Shoes. I don't know that one. I'm writing oh. that down. Okay, nine, 90 minutes, mate. 90 minutes, not going to hold you up. Um, that Now that is a movie, and you will recognise people in it. And um, you're aware of Paddy, Paddy Considine? Yes. Well, he gives one of, if not his greatest performance in that movie. He, really? He, believe it or not, he is terrifying. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm in. I mean, say no more. Yeah. Say no more. Yeah, I I know because I've 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 mentioned an actor you like. I've mentioned I've mentioned that it's ninety minutes, that it's terrifying, that he's terrifying in it, and it's good for an anglophile. So it's it's basically ticked all of your boxes. Well, yeah, I, I don't mind the long thing. Again, you know, I'm no, saying here, yeah, the four-hour Tom Petty documentary. Um, did the Irishman need to be as long as it needed to be? I don't know. You know, I mean, mm, that's that's the yeah. That's the 
the whether you want to call it a dichotomy or the the challenge of art, you know, I mean, art isn't a thing that runs by rules. You know, uh, yeah. Andy Warhol said, "Art is what you can get away with." Um, sometimes you do things and they work. You know, same as management. Sometimes you have to take a hard line and not let people fuck around at all. Uh, sometimes, as a manager. You can't pay them what you want to, so you have to let them fuck off a little bit and create a comfortable environment where if they're only getting so much an hour, well, at least they don't mind coming into work because they like it. You know, sometimes four hours is better. Sometimes four hours is worse. I mean, context is so important for life and art and business and sports and whatever. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And also on the Irishman, I, 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 I kind of know what you mean, but by the same time... This, but at the same time, it seems a bit churlish to sort of say, yeah, do you know what? It shouldn't have been three and a half hours. It should have been three hours. And it's like, do you know what? If you're going to watch three hours, you may as well watch three and a half hours. Yeah, and, and it's Scorsese. You know, it is not. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people love it. I get it. You know, I'm only now warming up to it. You know, I watched it the first week. Um, yeah. But it's not an entertaining movie. Very know, good point. Some... Very good point. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's part of what it's doing. It is continuing to strip away the romance from it. You know, the good or um, the Sopranos in its last couple of seasons decided that people had taken Tony Soprano the wrong way. So it went out of its way to point out what a disgusting, destructive, negative lifestyle it was uh, that I, I think it became kind of um, the show became against its own interests. I mean, it was a show about how awful the mob was. Well, it's not fun to watch, is it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, what the Irishman does is it completely takes all that romance and sex and violence and good time from Goodfellas and it gets rid of that and shows what a mundane, boring, grinded out, working stiff life that people that are mob affiliated have to uh, live in and deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it kind of it shows the it shows well it shows the sort of the the straight jacket that being in the mob is as well. Yeah, you know it's it's not uh, it's not entertaining. It's a great movie. I understand the points it's trying to make, but uh, you know probably the most fun scene in that is Stephen Graham and Al Pacino going uh, going against each other. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's nothing in there that makes that makes you think, oh, that's great. That's a nice life. I'd like to. Like, uh, yeah, like you say, yeah, yeah, you, you people, you people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that is, a, that is. A, well, look, we, we're kind of, um, well, we, we're, we're rocking and rolling here. I want to get, um, I want to get to my, um, my standard, um, end of, end of interview questions, um, so we don't have to rush them. So, um, so first up would be, um, favorite director. Now I've often I often say all oh, favorite male director or favorite female director. I'm just going to say favorite director, and that way we can just do away with any kind of gender issues at all. Well, I, I have them both. I have them both. I Love mean, it. The Great. The director I, I probably spent the most time with is Kevin Smith. Right. I'm a huge fan of his. I love that guy's work. I don't. I'm not saying he's the filmmaker that Scorsese is, but I love his stuff. It's important to me. Yeah. But he. Uh, Kevin Smith as, you know, he's one of those aspirational figures that you can draw lessons from. You know, again, this book, Good Advice from Goodfellas, is about me not just looking at a movie and saying that's good, but learning lessons from it. 
you know, you can learn lessons from Martin Scorsese as a creator. And Kevin Smith is a guy that has made a life around just wanting to be in this world that he loves and going out and achieving it and showing other people how to open that door and make that happen. And as much as I watch his movies uh, for the last 10 years, I've spent at least two hours a week listening to his podcasts. Right. So he's, he's one of my favorite directors. I've probably spent the most time watching Tarantino, Soderbergh, and the Coen brothers, movies that are just infinitely rewatchable. Um, time, you know, things that when it's 2.30 in the morning and I can't sleep and Kill Bill or Oh Brother Where Art Thou comes on, I'm like, yeah, okay, bring it on. I'll watch this. Uh, but my favorite director to me is John Hughes. You know, that's a guy that speaks to me on a personal level. I grew up with his movies. Uh, as someone who was an entertainment journalist, I, I always thought my whole life was building up to the point that I'd be able to interview him and maybe uh, do some kind of longer thing about him. And when he died, that really took the sales out of me as, uh, as a journalist, as a writer. You know, uh, movies like The Breakfast Club, uh, some kind of wonderful, um, so many of them. You know, maybe they haven't aged well. I know it's it's trendy to call him problematic, uh, as with a lot of 1980s movies. But that's the guy that, that kind of speaks to uh, you know my soul, my formative mind. The guy that really made me fall in love with movies. It went from, well, you know, Snake Plissken is awesome. That's great. But actually seeing something that I could relate to yeah. up on the screen. That was John Hughes. So I, I, I love mate, all those guys, but John Hughes is my guy. Do you know what? That is that is absolutely totally from left field. Wasn't expecting that whatsoever. And I'm just sat here nodding, remembering what an absolute piece of total genius The Breakfast Club is. Um, I mean, that movie had a profound effect on me when I watched it and for, for years later. And, and you know what? I still make... You know, oh, obscene finger gesture from such a pristine girl. You keep eating your hand, you're not going to be hungry for lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still. I'm still your dad works here. Um, we could do this. We could do this all night. Um, and it, but you're right. And I must admit, I was extremely disappointed with comments uh, that were accredited to Molly, Molly Ringwald. Um, looking looking back 35 years later it's like look you can only do your best at the time within the confines of society at the time and yes if you look back at things that are 35 years old some of them will be a bit off color and maybe they don't chime in with how things are now well guess what that's because it's 35 fucking years old and to be honest if we're going to play that game Every single one of us and the way we speak at the moment will be offensive to somebody in 50 years' time. So let's just, you know, let's just give everybody a break, maybe. Right. So my, my favourite uh, woman director is Sofia Coppola. You know, she has ah, made two of my right. favourite things. Uh, Lost in Translation, one of my favourite movies. That's another one. Anytime it's on, I can watch that. And uh, the Bill Murray Christmas special. I'm a big Christmas guy big Christmas guy and that is fucking magical <laughs> right okay well I've got to say I'm not a fan of Lost in Translation um, but hey it's not it's not about me it's about you and um, uh, and uh, that is a that's um, that's a really interesting choice a really interesting choice um, she's she's not great in Godfather Part 3 let's be honest well yeah. 
Let's not. Well, there's a new version of Godfather Three coming out, so maybe Ooh. let's uh, let's watch that and then we'll revisit that. Right. Topic. O- okay. Okay. Let, let's so let's just. Coppola let's... himself agrees that could have come out a little bit better. Well, uh, well, let's 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 brush past that. And next up, favorite genre. Well, I think we've all, you've already answered this earlier. Yeah, time travel and superhero movies. I mean, I, you know, my whole life was just one crushing disappointment after another going to see a big superhero movie and thinking, yeah, I'm so excited. Here comes Tim Burton's Batman. It's going to be fucking awesome. And just being shell-shocked at what a dull, lifeless piece of crap it is. And that, that's, a, that's a hill I will die on. I, I hate the Burton Batman movies. And and that is and that at the time that at the time would have been an extremely unpopular opinion because it was all they were all being lauded as the greatest movies ever. Well, look at what's on the radio. You know, a lot of people can be wrong about a lot of stuff. Oh God, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so basically, what you're saying is so basically, what you're saying is your ideal movie is a time traveling superhero. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Okay. All right, brilliant. Well, we'll you know we'll 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 hang in there for you on that one. Um, so, favorite male actor, favorite female actor, favorite male actor. I think overall, I might go with nineteen eighties Kurt Russell. Oh, you just made a lot of listeners very happy. I think I th- I I think I think there is a lot of guys nodding along to this who were sixteen, seventeen years old, wanted to be wanted to be Snake Plissken. Um, you know, have watched Roadhouse. You name it. I think I think that's I think that's a, a a really really good call. Yeah, I mean, he was just badass. He was cool. He was funny. You know, in uh, I mean, I suppose Sylvester Stallone tried to do it, but uh, you know, he uh, he was able to take the piss out of himself a little bit and make fun of himself as Jack Burton and you know Tango and Cash deconstructed a little bit. Yeah. Um, so he proved he could do it all. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a great call. That's a great call. Um, and, um, and and again, like like again, like John Hughes, not not a not something that um, I would have, you know, not not one of the big four, if you like. You've, you know, you've you've really put some some genuine thought into this. I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So so who's the female? Yeah, Matt, Matt Damon had a hell of a run, you know, up until a oh, certain yeah. point. You know, I thought he had never made a poor choice with a movie script. Up until what? Uh, up, you know, what was the the one where he played like the small person who shrank? Or oh. at a certain point, I, I stopped. I stopped following him as religiously as I did. Ah, now, I, yeah, so I, I know what you mean. run there, you know, at least ten years of of no bad movies, and I don't know that he's made a bad one. Uh, just uh, some are greater than others, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, female actor. Female actor. I love Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I love Charlize Theron. You know, she kicks ass. Kicking ass is an important quality to me. If it's writing book, I just like kick ass. You know? Right. So you've seen you've seen Atomic Blonde then. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean uh, the 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 fight scene that starts in the room and and goes down the staircase and then and then they get out into the street. Fuck me, that is yeah. just brutal. Yeah, and and similarly, I'm I'm also. Like if I had a bet on somebody, I'm a huge fan of Carrie Russell, who is best known in America yeah. for a series called The Americans. Have you seen that? I have. I love it. It's it's unfortunately um, 
it's very uh it's it, i don't know it's, it's it was it was never a mainstream show here it used to be on at like 10 and 11 at night people listening to this will be like mm, i don't think we've had that over here yeah we have all five seasons um and in fact it's all on amazon prime i think um the series the, yeah the, she's absolutely brilliant in that and she was in the she was in the last star wars the most recent star wars movie as well was she i i blocked that movie completely out yeah. of my mind yeah well you would have only recognized the voice she wears a she wears a helmet for pretty much 90 percent of the time that she's on screen um wow that's a, yeah in, in my in, for my money star wars ends with uh episode eight but that's a whole other topic but for my indeed. money carrie russell is the yeah. only one who could be snake plissken in a reboot of escape from new york she is that fucking badass oh that's a, again a great K. show russell to take that role Again, that is a that is a that is a really really great shout, and yes, yeah, she would. And the fact that us that she's got the same surname as Kurt is just like, yeah, she gets the role. Done. Next. <laughs> right. So yeah, those those are my big three actresses. That's awesome. And this is the big one now. Favorite movie of all time. You know, I I was struggling with this, and I was going to go with like a, a qualified top ten, but I'm going to put my my nuts on the uh, on the line here, and I'm just going to go with one. Uh, I could give you my top ten. Uh, I could give you a circle of the top ten, but I'm mm-hmm. just going to go Apocalypse Now. That is oh neat. wow! That is a movie that like one of those movies like Goodfellas that you can take myriad lessons from that just explains like life and what it's about and how to navigate it and you know not to mention the fact that that movie rides the fucking snake man (laughs) (laughs) that is a that is a trip to the heart of darkness and what is inside the human soul and condition and it's all there every all the everything is in apocalypse now yeah yeah, no, I, and interestingly, that's a movie that works at two hours. That's a movie that works at three hours. There's a that's a movie that works at four hours. I have the five hour bootleg work print of it, and that's not bad either. Well, I tell you what, true true story. Um, I might have told it before. I I, I was on the set of um, uh, the Matrix Reloaded because uh, one of my best friends' uh, wife, is a makeup artist, and she worked with Lawrence for years. And he said they were in um, they were in Australia when a new print of Apocalypse Now was going to be was going to be released, and um, uh, Lawrence got his US agent to send over to basically to get a copy um, of the original of the of, of this print that was going to come out. It was flown over to Australia, and he they hired hired a cinema for the night. And it was just basically cast and crew from the Matrix movie because they were filming it out in Australia at the time. It was just cast and crew who got to go and see it. And, you know, it was, it was kind of, you know, inv- invitation only, if you like. And, um, and yeah, they, um, he said Lawrence just sat there eating, uh, eating, eating popcorn by the handful, like laughing his, laughing his nuts off at it. And I'm going like, oh, man, I can't, I don't even remember shooting this scene. Um and uh, and he said it was just like it was just an insane experience because he's a he's a kid in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's. I think he's even younger than he's supposed to be in the movie. I mean, what is he? Fifteen, seventeen, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I think I think he was I think he was about sixteen or seventeen when he filmed it. Yeah, I mean that's there. You go a small role, and that's a guy that only kept growing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, 
Exactly. Well, look, man, that was just that was awesome. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, every question asked. There's clearly there's clearly because um, I am further down the road. I am going to be looking at doing uh, doing specials on you know particular movies um, or particular series of movies when it comes to Star Wars and things like that. Um, so don't worry, I've, I've got you. I've got you flagged up for those down the way as well. Um, and hey, and thank you. No, no, no! Thank you, thank you. It's it's great. To, it's great to chat because we haven't spoken for quite a while. So it's it's lovely to just be able to catch up with you anyway. But um, I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. No, it's been great. You know, I mean, the first time we talked was 2015. You know, if you go back and you listen to that, you were talking about stand-up comedy, and I expressed some interest in it. And I say, well, I can't really do it, but I'll, I'll tell you off the air. Um, and what that was, was that was kind of the, uh, the beginning of my self-help journey. Like at that point I had not quite reached, um, rock bottom with my health, but I was rapidly getting there. Um, and over the next couple of years I got into the self-help thing. And I think there's a point with self-help where if you have any kind of brain, you have to realize that you keep hearing the same things over and over again and you get it and you either improve or you have to move on. So the Goodfellas book is kind of, uh, it's my final project for my self-help phase. You know, it's, it's about me, you know, the things I learned when I lost 40 pounds, the things I did when I was learning how to write things that I thought I couldn't write, uh, all the lessons that I got from all the self-help stuff are, are, you know, me watching Goodfellas and identifying those concepts in the book. So, uh, you know, this is very much a full circle moment because at the time I was not healthy. Uh, you know, I was borderline diabetic. I didn't realize it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's good to be back here talking about how I, I feel a lot better than I did when we first talked. That, well, that, that's, that's awesome, man. I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of, um, you know, uh, uh, well, of, of those kind of, well, maybe mental health more, more than physical health issues. And, and, um, without a doubt you know creativity creating work creating things working on creative projects is a fantastic way of you know improving your physical mental health whatever it is um especially if you're able to communicate in it things that you know you feel are important and that you need to get out there absolutely absolutely well, my friend, thank you very much. Not at I all. Thank you. Your support. As I said, I mean, I don't take it for granted that people out there give a shit about me. You know, thank you. Uh, it's shocking to me that my shit continues to sell and that people like you find time to talk to me. So, well, it's uh, hopefully these books will give something back to you a little bit. Well, look, it's my absolute pleasure, and I'm thanking you on my behalf, but I'm also thanking you on the behalf of everybody who's listening because I'm sure they've had a a really enjoyable uh, listen to this so um thank you very much mate let's uh let's not leave it so long next time peace take care hey, howard you uh if you want real quick like we yeah could do uh, i have a couple extra bits you could do for your patreon people and that's pretty much the the best kind of patreon advert i can do uh patreon.com forward slash howard h smith you all there's just five dollars five dollars a month and boy do you get a ton of stuff? Um, now, a little follow-up to that. Um, we, we are actually going to be recording the Patreon extras um, separately. Um, but since that um, chat, uh, DX has watched um, Dead Man's Shoes. 
So um, we're also going to be doing a a, a kind of catch up on that, um, and, and and well, a sort of you know reaction, as it were. Um, but uh, the email that I received not long after was so I watched Dead Man's Shoes. Fucking hell, sir! I was not prepared for that. <laughs> So um, it's going to be a really interesting, um, going to be a really, really interesting time on um, on Patreon uh, discussing that. So um, there's not really much to add, uh, other than I'm not going to do what a lot of podcasts do, which is basically unpick the interview you've just heard and go on and on and on about it. You've just heard it. There's no need for me to mention it again. I hope you enjoyed it. That, that That's it, really, you know? But what I do need you to do is... Well, I, what I do need to do is thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for sharing. If you're sharing the podcast, please do. Um, Movie Bollocks is, mix, is mixed in the, the Talking Bollocks timeline. So, you know, you'll, all, you'll get all sorts of bits and pieces from time to time. There's loads to, to, to get at on Patreon. Um, and also, I should thank a big, uh, big up to All About The Rock, who hosts all the podcasts, and I haven't mentioned recently, and I really, really should do. So thank you all about The Rock, about the rock especially Craig, who's, um, who's um, having, a, having a, let's just say, having a hard time at the moment, um, as anybody would in his position. And, and, that, and by that, I don't mean the fact that he has to deal with me. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, he's he's helping get these out whilst going through some pretty horrible stuff in his life. So do bear in mind every time you listen to one of these that there is somebody behind, you know, somebody behind all of this slaving away on the back end of stuff. Um, who's got a lot more important things and that they could be doing with their life and they're they're helping keep all of this going so big up to craig and um and the team are all about the rock and that seems to me like a really really good place to leave it so um i'm going to keep the content coming all you have to do is listen and next time we shall have a little bit of a chat some more well i guess it's not really a chat is it well well it is for me and the guests not for you it's a bit it's a listen but hopefully it's still just as enjoyable. Thanks a lot for listening. Speak to you next month.